It's Tuesday, March 7th, 2023, and you're listening to episode 608 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 36 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Mary. And this is Wayne. Before we get into today's topic, we've got some pretty cool news. The Kickstarter for Fear the Con is live. It is up and running. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And this Kickstarter will be running between now and middle of the day central time on April 6th. So if you don't want to convert time zones, go and call it April 5th. And we are basically looking for what it takes just to cover the cost of the con, to put it on free for anyone that's able to attend. Check out the Kickstarter site in the show notes for more information. And I'm sure we'll have some updates and other information for you guys uh, as things develop and as the Kickstarter matures. So this week, our topic is going to be what are things that a game master has done that has made the world feel a little bit more alive or given you a little more buy-in to the setting than you otherwise had. Now, we're going to give credit where it's due. There's a user on our Discord by the name of Josh B., who comes through and every so often just asks these open-ended conversation-starting questions. Yeah, so Josh goes out to all of these Discords on the internet everywhere, all these gaming Discords, and asks his question of the day. But he doesn't ask it on ours. No, it, thanks for all of the help looking over Skies of Glass and all the feedback and love having you as a friend and all. But how about coming and asking us a question, Josh? Well, how about you share the love and content? The important point is that we can still steal content from somewhere. That's <laughs> right. If you brought it to our Discord, then it might not be theft and I wouldn't feel as good about it. My sisters have been trying to convince me because I'm just now for the first time watching Futurama all the way through. I've seen some individual episodes, but never I watched say, the series. I'd say it'd be series. hard for you not to have. Yeah, I was yeah. Listening, I've seen some episodes, so I've never seen the whole series. And my sisters were trying to convince me that Bender is my spirit animal. <laughs> and I don't think they're entirely right, but they're not entirely yeah. wrong either. Some aspects of Bender. Yes. Not all aspects. Right. Yeah. But the bad uncle example. <laughs> yes, yes, Exactly. Exactly. See, every family has that uncle, the one that's, like, not allowed around the kids. I don't want to be that uncle. And fortunately, that uncle role is already taken. I won't name the person, but that role is already taken. So I'm not the bottom of the barrel. I'm the one. <laughs> You're a step up from the bottom yes, of the barrel. Yes, I'm the one where they have to worry about what I might say, not what I might do. Right. So not the worst place to be. Right. So I might expand the kids vocabularies in a moment of anger, but I'm not the one that's, you know, going to do really, really horrible things to them. So like, you know, I'm allowed to babysit the kids, but I'm told in advance what movies they're not allowed to watch. (laughs) (laughs) That seven year olds are apparently not allowed to see Joker. So anyway. All right. But he asked this question and I think the question was intended to be answered in specific. What are some examples of things some game masters have done that get you more invested in the world? Which I think is a great question to ask because it gives people an opportunity to think back on their experiences, to remember something good, to have a story to share, and maybe to dissect why it worked. But we are not going to answer it that way. We are going to answer it in general, and here's why. 
when we were prepping this show, we were making sure we had ideas to talk about, and we realized that naming specific things wasn't really going to be useful because it doesn't translate in anything actionable. And the example I gave of kind of what it reminded me of while we were mapping out the show was back in the real late 90s, maybe real early 2000s, there was a boss I had who presented a plan for us within technology to try and make work. And I, I was working on a technical team that was attached to a marketing department. So that's why marketing concerns were being brought to me despite being a technical person. And they came up with this campaign they wanted to do to advertise the company. And their plan was literally, direct quote, make it go viral. Like, how? <laughs> that's not how this works. You yeah. don't, I don't just upload a video and check the go viral box on <laughs> it, and then it just do. I mean, that's not how any of this works. Yeah, no, my answer to that is you then upload 100 videos, take the one that was popular out of those 100, and then take that one back. See, I made it go viral. Yeah, yeah ex- ex- <laughs> exactly. And so we were coming up with examples but on every one of them, we're like, what's the advice? So it's like, well, I don't know. I just liked that idea. Yeah. So it's like the it advice worked. was, yeah. it worked. Wayne loved this. And so it's like, okay, our advice is go viral. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why we're deciding to answer this from a general conceptual standpoint, because any specific story could be answered by why did it work? Well, because I liked it. And unless you're jamming for me, that is not useful advice. So let's start off with this one. This is one that I think is huge to me, but it's going to tie in a lot to some of these other answers, at least at the conceptual level, which is either plot hooks, substories, or unanswered questions about my player character because it makes what's going on in the world feel personal and it makes it feel like my character really lives in this world, has an impact on this world. And the world is having an impact on him that is occurring at the personal level, not the impersonal level. The stormtroopers are not shooting at me because I'm just one of the rebels on the ship. They're shooting at me because I did something specific. Yeah, I will say, though, when you're doing something like that, tie it in at least early and put it out a little over time. Because where I've seen it not work is when you have something like a proper noun in your background and a year into the campaign, that person shows up. I wrote that a year ago. Yeah. Right. And we've never touched on it again. Yeah. I don't remember that. Right. Because even though it was really important to my character and it was important to me at the time, I have a year's worth of role playing with that character now that didn't. Yeah. And we've given some advice on that in the past. But to quickly summarize some of the things you can do is one is like Wayne said, get to it early and deal with it. Not in huge tidal waves, but at least in a constant drip drip where you're touching a little on Wayne's backstory and then touching a little on Mary's backstory and then touching a little on my backstory. Let's say the hook is that you're looking for someone from your past. As you go to towns, filter that in. You get a little clue. Oh, this person from your backstory was here a month ago before you got here. And even if it's the player bringing it up, being like, I am actively searching for my uncle. Don't stare at them blankly and say you don't find any answers. Keep it relevant as you go. Rumors, vagueness, whatever, just to toss a bone until you're ready to deal with it. Right. And even even if you thought about it, like literally, like if the player brings it up, don't ignore it. Either that or... 
off by a week or two to kind of throw off when they're looking for it. Yeah. Send out that email to all your players. Say, hey, everyone be looking at your backstories because I'm not done with them yet. And that that works. Like over time, you've sit in a campaign for a long enough period of time and your GM suddenly sends you an email being like, hey, remember when you wrote this? You should remember this. Yeah. Like just, just yeah, and you just can refresher for you can tell involved. them specifically. Say, hey, go into your backstory, and I want you to look at Sherry. Okay, and you don't remember who that character is. You now know it's coming up. Now maybe that's not an issue. Maybe what I'm going to do with that story is interesting enough that you knowing to review that one piece of your backstory is not a big deal. But failing that, once again, I can just send an email to everyone. Maybe not even the week I'm intending to do it. Yeah. But some other week and just say, everyone check your backstories, be up on them because they're not done. Yeah, I know this is one that's happened to me where a character from my backstory showed up and I didn't remember the name. And so when the name got said, it's really significant, but I didn't remember it anymore. Well, and I and I had the opposite. I had a DM be like, hey, so everybody, we've been on a break. Just so you know, when we get back into this, maybe go back. And the nice thing about that game was that it had all been recorded. So it's like, go back to your prologue. Just listen to it again. And remember some of those things. <laughs> the second thing I'm going to name, because I'm trying to knock off some of the quick kill items before we get to the big subject in the middle of this that sort of ties them all together, is allow the player characters to have goals, ambitions, and projects. And Some games have this as a built-in mechanic. Blades in the Dark, for example, has the between-game projects where you can roll to fill in project clocks and things like that and build a Gizmotron or whatever it is you're trying to make. They're not the only one that has that, but other ones, they they have a system for it. Even in games that don't have a system for it, you can handle this at the role-playing level the resource level, or even a real simple rule. All right, so let me give some examples of those. So let's say you've got a D&D game and they want to build an outpost in this area where they keep going and hire some mercenaries to staff it or whatever. Well, you can deal with that at the role-playing level by they strike a deal with the nearby Baron that, hey, if you go complete this quest for me, then I will set aside the resources to establish an outpost for you. Uh, handle it at the resource level. Okay, well, in the this source book, it says this is what they keep costs, and this is what mercenaries cost. So this is what you got to come up with, and then you can hire people into it. Or do a real simple rule. In my family game, we have a rule where about once per week of in-game time, you get to roll a D6, and whatever roll you roll you associate that with a side project so like my first side project for my character was i was trying to learn deathic which is the ancient language of the dwarves because we were doing a lot of deep diving into the darker places of the world and so speaking ancient dwarven tongues was worth doing and so when my character was let's say at 74 percent the GM would say, okay, well, you got to roll under that 74% to have any chance of understanding what you're looking at. Once it reaches 100, boom, death just gets added to my language list. But at the average roll of 1d6 per session, you'll say that takes a while. And so you can change the die size based on the game or whatever. But we had people doing other stuff. My current goals, I whipped out the old follower rules. And I'm now training up a follower And so the follower is gaining XP and is gaining uh, attunement to me at a social level. The higher that number gets, they're getting more in sync with my views and whatnot. 
But there's real easy ways you can attach rules to this. Just, of course, it's fair to ask the player not to build anything game-breaking in the process. Well, there's also, it's, it can be as simple as asking a player in a more, you know, stuff-driven game, what do you want? I have a game right now where my character had discovered a thing she didn't know what it was, and the Game Master made it plans to a weapon that she could build, like, over time. And it was just like, now you have these plans, now you have to, like, every so often you find parts, or you take some time, and you put it together, and now you still can't use it because you don't have the right feats, but you'll get that, now you have goals, like, even on a simple item level. Yeah, I gotta give Chad credit for this. In the D&D game he ran for Phoenix, myself, and a few other people, when Phoenix was getting ready to, as a ranger reach the point of getting a pet companion, he wanted that to be a big thing. He didn't want it to just be, you mechanically now have a pet companion. So the session where we were going to level, he built in dealing with someone, defeating them, and having their pet bond. So he made a story aspect around what would normally be just a mechanical advancement. So instead of being just something on a sheet, there was a story about how it came about. And he did the same thing with me. He found out what I was going to take as my, I think I was either a wizard or a sorcerer, but I was going down a path. Uh, I was going to attune to divination. So he started putting in dreams that were hints of the future. So instead of just mechanically getting this thing, it was seeded up to it. And it was a story thing as well. The next two I'm going to give, they tie together fairly well. Because I think one is necessary for the other. So I'll start with the first one. A non-player character that I can trust and be honest with. The reason for this is it lets me explore my character's thoughts. It gives me something to sound my ideas off against. And it also creates a sense of home or familiarity within the world. That even if there's things I can't admit to the rest of the party, there is still someone in the game that I can go back to that's the always present bartender or whatever that becomes my confidant. And the one I'm going to tie into this directly because of the fact that I don't know how to state one without stating number two. And this is something that applies to more than just that idea. I would apply this across the board is not every asset is a vulnerability. All right. Game masters have this nasty trait where if you care about someone, blood is in the water. That if you have a wife in the game, guess who's going to get kidnapped and need rescuing? If you have a brother, guess who you're going to be avenging? If you have a house, guess what's about to be burned down? (laughs) And look, I understand some of that is fair game and storytelling, especially if you're in a really, really personal, ugly dispute with somebody else. I get that. But there also comes a point where if you one by one are burning every anchor I have in this world, I am going to do one of two things. I'm either going to be unanchored in this world and therefore not invested, or I'm going to spend all of my time trying to protect those tethers and therefore not really advancing the plot. I have a hard fast rule as a GM when I'm running games. If the party has an NPC that they love, and it's a unanimous everyone in the party loves the NPC, I do not put that NPC in danger. That NPC will have trouble. Sure. Will come to them looking for help. But I never put that NPC in danger. Yeah, and that's another thing is distress does not have to be left off the table completely. It's just don't burn it down. Or or take it away completely. And that's why. Because if something goes wrong, 
I'm not really putting that NPC in danger because I'm not willing to get rid of it. Right. That's they're bought in. Yeah. I don't want to lose that NPC, uh, so um, I'm yeah. not going to put it exactly. In it's the yeah. bartender you guys always go to, and they're about to lose their liquor license because a county official wants a bribe. On the other hand, if I have an NPC that has a family member that they have an antagonistic relationship in. Chances are that one's going to end up in danger. Sure. And they're going to have to deal with how badly do they want to actually save this person. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, that's kind of my hard and fast rule when I'm running it. I will put a antagonistic NPC to them in danger every time. But if they all love an NPC, that NPC is going to have problems, but it's going to be safe. Well, and, and sometimes it can be driven by how what level are your players going to stoop to? And then how much danger are the things you love are, are in? Because if you're going yeah. to just go around ruining my world, <laughs> then yeah, maybe well, you don't own the... None of the things you love are safe. Well, and there also is some internal consistency in terms of the problems you're asking for. You want to play an Untouchables game, you know, set in the height of prohibition. Okay, Somebody's probably going to try and intimidate your wife, and somebody's probably going to firebomb your offices. I mean, that's the game you're playing yeah. in. I'm just saying that not everything in the right. world, not everything my character loves, has to be a vulnerability that you're going to use to tighten that knife on me or to twist that knife on me. Because eventually, I'm going to get tired of, of dealing with that. Right. And, and even yeah. then, there are some, like, it, it's helpful to, as a GM, pick your PCs. Or pick your players, rather. If you want to put somebody's wife in danger, find somebody who isn't Dan. Yeah, There are people who have NPCs that they do care about, but are much more willing to, like, sacrifice to the story. You know? That's... I remember my uh, last Dresden Files game. They wanted white court vampire politics. So immediately, you're going to deal with betrayals. You're going to deal with family members that are... You can't really trust. Right. So the character had twin brothers one of them's going to be on their side one of them's not because i got two of them <laughs> you've got a spare <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it kind of, it does go to your point there of what type of game are you playing yeah if the group wants internal politics mobs vampire politics you're gonna have betrayals you're going to have things like that come up they may be in danger. They may be the ones causing the danger. Yeah, I even had a player once, and I respected this totally, just ask me at the outset, I want to have these NPCs in my backstory. Specifically, he wanted his character to have back home a wife and two kids. I don't. And he asked me right up front, I don't mind if they have problems. But please do not kill them. Please do not have them abducted. I don't want to spend the game constantly trying to rescue my wife and kids and that being used like a blunt object to motivate me to do anything in the story. And I said, completely agree. It would get tired and frustrating. And so I said, you have my word as a GM. I just won't do it. Well, it also puts a lot of stress on that single player to be like, Hey, guys, it's, it's my wife and kids that got abducted, so you all need to come help me. And it's you're getting the rest of the group to go along with it on one player. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Not, and I think that's I, not good. I did that once with a GM and had the conversation of, this is in the backstory, but it's not actually something I'm interested in exploring or dealing with. It just is informing who the character is now. So I don't expect you to write anything to it, and I'm not particularly interested in exploring it. But I'm giving you the information anyway, just because it's part of the full picture. Yeah, yeah. This I, I think I, I did that recently, where I was like, 
this is relevant to the character that I'm building, but it doesn't have to come up in the game. Like, this fact. Yeah. So, Mary gave me one that is so broad that <laughs> I was saving it to last because I think if it wasn't saved to last, every other point we've made would be consumed by it in at yeah. least 10%, 20%, if not 95%, which is invest the players in the process of world building. That there is nothing that gets your player characters tied into a world, feeling like it's alive, caring about its events, than a part of it being yours. Because if you care about that part and you're an all-creative person, you will bring it to life. You will make it a living thing that will make that game feel, once again, more personal to you and more vibrant and more, more of an investment to you. I had someone the other day, and I don't remember where it was, if the Discord in person, whatever, was telling me that they were getting ready to run a campaign, and they were petrified because they were going into the first session with no idea what the long-term campaign is. And my answer was, you want to know my secret? I almost never know on game one. I never know on session zero. I build it after session zero. Game one is introducing the characters to each other so the players know what they're actually going to be running. Not what's on paper, how they're actually going to interact. And then throwing all kinds of things out and seeing what they're really interested in. And I like to form my campaigns after the first session. Always after session zero. But like, I'll have some ideas going into session one. I don't know what I want to do. But I am willing to throw out any idea I've got at session one because I'm going to put a bunch of ideas out there and see what they jump at. And that's going to inform the entire rest of the campaign. I've had people give me like a whole write up. Here's my backstory. Here's what I'm interested in. And then come game time, they don't care about any of that anymore because what they thought they wanted to play wasn't actually what they wanted to play. Well, or something else comes up in the plot that interests them more. They're introduced to a new concept especially if they're new to the setting that they didn't know was in there. Right, or, or even just interactions with other players. They're yeah. like, oh, that thing that you just did, that's really awesome. Yeah, I'm same way, and I don't know that my process is all that different than yours. I have at least a loose idea of what the game's going to be about or what I think it's going to be about Yeah, I after know, session after, zero. Yeah, Prior saying, after, to session zero, I don't bother. After session zero, I know what the party's going to be, what they say they're right. interested in, but, and I've got an idea for the campaign as a whole, Yeah, but I'm willing to throw that idea But usually somewhere around post-game two or post-game three. Because game one to me always feels a bit awkward. My goal out of game one is just to get enough buy-in to set up an organic place to begin game two. But it's usually by the end of game two or game three that I have to go back and revise my plan for the campaign based on what the characters actually care about. There was something else that we were talking about when we were talking about letting the players be a part of world building, which is game masters don't just allow it to happen. You need to make it matter. You need to understand it at least to some extent, because if you don't understand it, how can it matter to the world? And you need to understand the ways in which it can and cannot be used. All right. I know this is a beaten to death example on this show, but it works so well. I'm going to use it again. Just gnarl building is an old tribe. That was a goal that I came up with. That was a whole section of the world that I created, and I built tons of culture, history. I even designed out the geography of an entire portion of the world because Chad had just left this placeholder 
that an army of generic D&D monsters had invaded the North, and this is what happened. And so I codified, well, here's the pecking order of who was doing what within that group, and here's what the subculture was specifically of the Knoll tribes and what they're after now and what those lands looked like. But it was not just my ability to describe this that created that buy-in. It was the fact that Chad actually sat there and listened to me talk about it, made it matter to himself, and then built in the hooks that I had given him into the plot were things like there would be gnolls that would be mocking the clan, but it'd be occurring within human society. And so there'd be politics around exactly what can the tribe do to protect its honor, its influence or whatever. And so there were these subplots came up around it or had some of the people that had led the gnolls in this really bad direction. I know they're kind of bad to begin with, but just in a direction they didn't want to go. And that person is still around and still had their own designs on using the gnolls to accomplish something. And so they were having their own struggle for their own freedom, their own self-determination against this power. And so he used it. It became a living part of the world, not this thing that I alone was aware of and I checked in with as a solo adventure in my own mind, uh, you know, this actually mattered to the game. The DM has to care enough <laughs> about what the player has created in, in any sense, any kind of backstory, any kind of thing for it to matter. They have to bring it back as we've been talking about. And if it's a whole section of the world that you're going to give somebody the freedom to like play around in, you have to then go back to them and be like, okay. Now you've made this. Now tell me everything that I need to know to show it to everybody. Yeah, I'm going to give another example. And it's, again, Chad is the GM because Chad doesn't want to develop his own stuff. He yes. wants to make no, us do no, it. No, Chad's laziness actually has a wonderful virtue yeah. to it. So, But but it doesn't stop. Like his lazy, <laughs> but, but, but that's what I'm saying is that if his laziness stopped it, go ahead and make it because I don't care. That wouldn't be fun. Yeah, he makes it important to the story. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. No, I, I will grant yeah. you that. His his initial, maybe we shouldn't call it laziness, his willful lack of starting inertia <laughs> <laughs> has a lot of value of it's like, eh, I don't care. Here's some land. Build or grow whatever yeah. you want. And then what we build or grow, you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't remain lazy. He then does learn about it and integrate it into his plot. And yeah, maybe that does save him some work. But look, if it saves him work, and he can watch another episode of a TV show or whatever he's doing, and we get that much more invested in the world. I mean, everybody wins. Right. Yeah, The so the example I was going to give is a Blades in the Dark campaign. Everyone should know I'm not a big fan of the Blades in the Dark system, but I've had a lot of fun with the games. And I think one of the reasons I didn't have as much fun this past game was I had nothing I was developing. There was not part of the world that was mine with the character I was working with. In his previous games, particularly one I have in mind, Dawn had a bar and a whole batch of cohorts that were at the bar. And that was what she developed. That became a big part of the game and the campaign. Well, we mechanically took a location. He would give us the opportunity to take that location and make it one of ours. So that first location, Dawn took the cohorts. The second location, I took. And I had a character that basically had a lot of friends that were the streetwalker prostitutes. And she got tired of watching them get beat up and hurt. And so she wanted a safe place for them to work. So when we took down one of the other gangs and took down their whorehouse, I took it over. 
and I wrote in the bodyguards, the cat that lived in the basement. The cat worked. The cat caught mice. And everything about the setting, and then it became a part of the game, a place we could go and visit, and things would come up for it. But he never made it... They had problems I had to deal with, but it was never put out there like, my place is going to burn down. Right, he was never... The the threat was there, never there to take it away from you. I was invested in it and wasn't going to take it away because it was something I then cared about in the world to keep developing. Well, and I've I've come across this years and years ago now, uh, a D&D game where we didn't have anything initially going in. None of the characters had good backstories. Like, it was very much a random adventuring party. But along the way, we kept running into these NPCs, not, not even NPCs, these, like, monstrous encounters or just random encounters that we just started collecting things and people. Mm. And... The thing about it was that was clearly what we wanted to do. Like th- this kobold who we separated from his party and didn't kill. Well, now we're going to put a crown on it and have it cook for us. <laughs> and the D- and that the fact that the DM at the time was willing to be like, okay, clearly this is what's going to make you all happy, and we're going to go with it. And now this is yours. And we ended up with like several wagons and lots of encounters that otherwise should have been f- or were designed to be fights. Ended yeah. in a well, can we? talk it into joining our <laughs> our menagerie but we were all invested in it so that the dm as we went along recognized that that was something that this is what everybody was interested in this is what we wanted to grow and also now this is yours and i'm not going to take it away well and that ties into i guess what would be my second to last point which is don't veto me constantly particularly in immaterial ways I understand you as a game master absolutely have the authority to say no because it's going to break the game or take the game in a direction you don't want it to go. I absolutely understand the game master has the right to say yes, but to put some restrictions on say, look, we'll do this, but it's going to have to go down this way and have some limitations. And that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with being told no. I I'm not quite so deep into the storytelling vibe of, of role-playing games that I feel the game master just has to yes and everything that I tell them. But when I am constantly being vetoed, when none of my ideas matter, when none of my approaches pan out, when none of my ways of seeking unique resolutions bear any fruit, at some point I f- could not feel more detached from the world because what connects me to the real world? Well, it's my ability to interact with it. Even if that is to passively observe it, I mean, I don't want to get too much into Heisenberg here, but even just to observe it is to interact with it. You don't want a world you can't interact with in any way and then expect anyone to care about it. Right? Nothing kills my interest more in a game than if I keep coming up with ideas and every one of them is wrong fails for some or... Yeah. Even if it succeeds, it succeeds in a very comedic way. This thing I thought was really cool now becomes now a, is a joke. slapstick. Yeah, yeah, it really kills my interest in an entire game when it happens. Well, and I've also this is related, but I I have had a problem too where I have had a GM not say no. They said yes. Like this is I, I designed a character that I was like this is something in my backstory that I want to explore. And everything was great. Like we went into this game, and I'm thinking one thing, and the DM had zero interest in exploring the thing that I wanted to explore, and just instead built his own thing to put on my character. And I'm like, this is 
fine, but this is not what we talked about. Like, this has no relation to what I was interested in at all. But you didn't tell me that it's not what interested you, so what are we doing here? <laughs> and I no longer care. <laughs> so in closing, I want to note that if Josh B. bothers to ask this on our server, or someplace that's worth reading, then do check out the other stories that people have because there might be great ideas in there. I'm not saying that great specifics don't exist. Wayne talked about how in Skies of Glass, the existence of GCs. the GCs, the genetic constructs, the animals that are somewhat of a product line really fascinated him. And that really gave him a sense of buying in life to the world. Well, why? Well, we could deconstruct that, but all you'd learn about in the process is Wayne, not really why that idea would work and how you could modify it to make it work for someone we've never met, but you game with every Wednesday. Or even why it was that one idea out of the entire setting that caught Wayne. So, I mean, I certainly think there is a place to look at where people say, well, the world really felt alive to me because it had a consistent calendar or because it had certain festivals or it had really cool NPCs or the game master was just a really good narrator who was able to appeal to all five senses in their descriptions. And by the way, I think that does help. Mm -hmm. I think it does help to appeal to all five senses, to give the world its own heartbeat, to have stories occurring that aren't significant, that, you know, to have a mother chasing her child who's running through a crowd and getting lost. And there's no significance to the story. The child's not about to be abducted by an Umber Hulk. It's just, there's real life going on here. Yeah, I think I got a piece of advice about it then. You made the point of that would tell you nothing other than what I found interesting and why I found it interesting. Why don't you ask this question of your group? Yeah. <laughs> Let them all answer it for any games they've ever run. Yeah. And yeah. then listen to them and why they found each of those things interesting. Right. And you've now learned something about every one of the no, players. I, at your yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's great value in that because then you are learning not just the what's, but the why's for the people you game with. That's Yeah, you don't have to be listening at the specifics. You need to be listening for the the hook. Right. Yeah. Whatever I, I just, it is that they latched onto. Not not what it is, but why. I just don't think us doing this <laughs> yeah. would provide right. a lot of value. And once again, unless you happen to be at a convention running a game for us, in which case, whatever, we're relatively nice people anyway. So, But there you go. So just a general reminder that on our Discord... Every Friday night, I've been a little late joining them recently, but Julia tries to be on there early, usually around 8 p.m. Central. We start a chat that, once again, Julia is there earlier, and I typically drop in sometime a little later, like around 10-ish or 11-ish Central. But I'm trying to get earlier. It's just there's been some scheduling stuff in my life lately. We've got a Discord. We've got a Facebook group. We've got a Patreon. There's all kinds of places you can find and interact with us. Yeah. In addition to that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2023. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.